Okay, welcome back to the latest United podcast. And it's that time of the season where it should be a very upbeat podcast. We're only a few days away from a European final. Should be a very positive podcast, Larry. But um, if I'm being honest with you, I'm absolutely fuming. At the time of recording this, hopefully things change by the time people listen to it. But at the time of recording this, Steven Gerrard has just been inducted into the Premier League Hall of Fame. And there's no sign of Paul Scholes. So, look, I want to get your thoughts because I'm going to dissect this in a little bit because, as I said, I'm fuming when I should be quite happy. Yeah, definitely one of the greatest travesties that's, that this planet has ever faced, Tom. There's no other way to describe it. Absolutely disgusting behaviour. Should be up there with top world news. Well, hang on. I want to dissect it because there's, there's a hundred reasons I could go into why Paul Scholes should be in the Premier League Hall of Fame before Gerard. got no issue if you want to put Gerard in eventually. That's fine. Look, it's a Premier League Hall of Fame, not a Liverpool Hall of Fame, so he's even. There's a lot of people with a much stronger case than himself. But mm-hmm. before I get into the hundred reasons, there's eleven reasons straight off the bat. Stephen Gerrard's the first person in there without a Premier League title. Um, Paul Scholes has eleven. He's, some could argue maybe twelve. He didn't really get that first one in ninety three, ninety four. Mm. Um, I'm baffled how Scholes hasn't gone in. We're going to get into Roy Keane and Eric Cantona, who are deservedly gone in. And I understand we speak with bias and obviously a little bit tongue in cheek. Yeah. Gerard obviously deserves to go in the Premier League Hall of Fame. Of course he does. But Scholes has to go in there because they put Lampard in yesterday, Gerard in today. And where's, where's the sign of the best midfielder out of the three? Yeah, well, um, I'm not sure in terms of how often they're releasing, the, the you know, the, in terms of how many, how often the and how many players they're going at a time. But look, I think the Gerard one is simply a, one to please the fans. I think there's going to obviously be a high number of Manchester United players in there uh, for obvious reasons. We've been the most successful club in the Premier League era. Uh, so I think the Gerrard going in before Skulls, I don't read too much into it. Obviously, it's there just to appease the fans. Can you imagine if Skulls went in there? There'd be this massive debate. Oh, so you've got three United players in there already. We can't wait for the rest to come out. You, you know how it is. For me, you, you could have made a case to have every inductee at the moment as all United players, but... I'm not too be. against this one. Well, of course, yeah, with bias. But I can understand why Gerard's gone in first. Yeah, well, look, congratulations, obviously, to Roy Keane and Eric Cantona, so deservedly so. Two United legends, two captains, and, um, yeah, extremely good. Now, speaking of trophies and Premier League titles, someone who will be looking at one stage to probably go into the Premier League Hall of Fame, um, he does need that little bit of a trophy and a Premier League title to back his case. And that's obviously Harry Kane. Um, the moment we press stop on recording our last podcast, the news broke that Harry Kane has notified Tottenham that he wishes to leave. This kind of happens sometimes at this stage of the season. There's always a big player who says it used to be sort of Rooney or Ronaldo or whatever, mm. um, Pogba every couple of weeks. But Harry Kane, this one does seem a little bit genuine that he is looking to finally make that step away from Tottenham. The only hurdle will be... Um, You'll need a spare, a little bit of spare cash to be able to buy him because he's going to be very expensive. Now the teams banded about in sort of in terms of who can afford him. You've got the obvious ones. You've got Real Madrid. Look, maybe not too much interest, but they could definitely get him if they wanted him. Um, Harry Kane would definitely find that appealing. Mm-hmm. You've got PSG and Pochettino. You could definitely see a scenario where that happens. Yep. And then you look in England. You've obviously got United, who obviously could do the deal if they wanted to. Manchester City could. But it's not the kind of deal they do because he is going to cost. Look, we'll get into that. Maybe one hundred and fifty million type of thing. And the one that I think not a lot of people are talking about, but maybe is the main one. I think Chelsea because Chelsea definitely need a striker unless they persist with Timo Werner. 
I think Chelsea will definitely want to add goals, and um, Harry Kane's someone who brings the goals. So, first of all, just your thoughts on when the news broke in terms of are you buying it? Do you think his future is away, or do you think there's a situation where he stays at Tottenham? And then also, um, where do you think he goes, and do you want United to be in the mix? I think there is definitely a situation where he can stay. Um, I don't think he wants to. I think all these murmurs that are coming out, that often happens when, you know, it sounds like he's reached the end. We've heard, It's been going on for, I want to say, two seasons now, since probably the Champions League final that Tottenham did make. That was, yeah, it was two seasons ago. Do I have that right? Yes. Um, Maybe even more. Two, yeah, two or three. At that point, um, we've had the... We thought Tottenham could go one or two ways. We thought they could either kick on and actually challenge for a Premier League title or they'll drop off in typical Tottenham fashion, it must be said, where, you know, good enough is... um, or second best is good enough. Um, I I think that's what we've seen with Tottenham and I think Harry Kane's now approaching a point in his career where he is starting to look around him and he's thinking of his age and he's starting to think about his, his legacy in the game. At the end of the day, he's a great goal scorer. Even Alan Shearer has a Premier League title to his name. He's nowhere near getting that at Tottenham. We're seeing them go lower and lower down the ladder, season on season. Now's the time to move. It's probably his last opportunity at getting a big contract. And unfortunately for him, he signed a massive deal, probably with reservation only, I think, two seasons ago. Maybe not the smartest move from him because at the end of the day, pandemic or not, they're going to demand a hell of a fee for him. In terms of who gets him, Tom, or do we went United in there? Of course I do. Bloody hell, he's, he's an elite goal scorer. I think outside of Robert Lewandowski, there's an argument to say Harry Kane's the best striker in the world. Well, what do you think about the narrative that goes around Harry Kane's future? Because whenever we look at a big player on the market, we look at Haaland, we think Mbappe, whoever, Neymar, Messi, Ronaldo, whoever the striker may be, mm. we're saying the interested clubs in for that player, we say, okay, what does that club need? Will he be beneficial to that club? Can that club afford him? Um, who are the positions? So who's under threat at that club? Or who's going to lose their position? Who will he link up nicely with? It's all about the buying club and if it would be a good fit. The narrative around Harry Kane is always Harry Kane's future, his personal ambitions. And I'm just saying, where do you think that stems from? Do you think that stems from he's one of the rare players who is a true world-class talent in that elite bracket of footballers who just happens to be the club who aren't going to win trophies? or Because it's weird, because this isn't about, okay, is Man United going to buy Harry Kane to get back to the top? Is Chelsea going to buy Harry Kane to get back to the top? It's about, is Harry Kane going to move to go win himself a Premier League title, which he deserves? I don't have a... I mean, look, I think, obviously, there, there is an element of selfishness with this decision, but he has to be selfish, Tom. I think, you know, when... Um, one of the most selfish footballers I've ever seen is Ruud van Nistelrooy. That bloke would push his grandmother down some stairs to score a goal. Okay, um, th- we've heard the constant stories. He, he constantly, th- there was the season where um, Arsenal did pip United to the league. He was obsessed with watching Terry Henry score goals. Um, there was a game where United, Rio Ferdinand recently covered it in his podcast, where um, there was a game that United had won 4-1 and he was filthy with himself in the set sheds because he didn't score. I think Harry Kane has a similar persona in that respect. He's obsessed with scoring goals, but I think there's also that element to him where, yes, he is starting to think about his own legacy. You know, you, you can't go down as a grade in this game without having a Premier League title. Thus, our d- debate in how we open this podcast slating Steven Gerrard. Um, so Harry Kane does need to be selfish. 
I think wherever he goes, he's inevitably going to win titles. It's just about which club is the best fit for him. Well, it's weird because we've had a Harry Kane and Erling Haaland discussion sort of every couple of weeks on the podcast. But I look at it now and it's a weird one because Haaland is that generational talent. He's going to cost probably a little bit less than Harry Kane, but Harry Kane is almost that finished article. Mm. But in terms of an investment for United, we've talked about what's the priority. Last week we were talking about Jaden Sancho, as great as he would be. Is he much use if the problem is further back on the pitch at centre-back or centre-defensive midfield? So look at it just in terms of the striking point of view. And the reason I, I fully accept everyone's argument to say, OK, Harry Kane's not a priority. We shouldn't be spending that $150 million on a striker. That should be spread out over the centre-back and centre-defensive midfield. However, the reason I look at the Harry Kane situation now and say I would be all over it from a United point of view is the fact that let's say Haaland just doesn't choose United. Let's say he goes to Barcelona. Okay, he goes to Barcelona, Mbappe goes to Real Madrid, name another striker, he goes to Chelsea, and in a year's time, sorry, Harry Kane, say Harry Kane goes to Chelsea, and in a year's time, Edison Cavani leaves. So at the moment, everyone's saying, well, we don't need Harry Kane because we just signed Cavani to a new deal. Well, that's great, but in a year's time, I know Harry Kane's not the youngest player, but in a year's time, we don't have Cavani. And if we let Harry Kane go to a rival now, and we don't secure Erling Haaland if he goes somewhere else in Europe, Mm. I'm looking at the situation now. Okay, he might not make too much sense now. He's not a priority for the next couple of months. But in a year's time, I think we could very well live to regret it. Yeah, I see that point. Um, look, if if you're looking at it, let, let's take money out of the argument for now. United should be in the market for Harry Kane. I think there's definitely everything you've said spot on. As good as Edison Cavani's been, he's a short-term solution the maximum amount of time that you're going to get out of Cavani is another 12 months before he seeks to go home to South America. So I would be in for Harry Kane and I'd, I'd welcome that signing. There's also an argument though that in which we've debated on this podcast as recently as a week ago that says Mason Greenwood could develop into that player. I think that's a gamble and as good as Mason Greenwood is, I think it's a massive call to say he'll be ready to be United's um, you know, point of attack. You know, going into <clears throat> the uh, going into the season in twelve months' time, um, I think his body's not quite there yet. Of course, he could be, but I think he's still probably three or four years off that point. So, it's an interesting one. But if you're looking at what United squad needs, I think that's another argument. These owners, Tom, won't cough up the money. I will say though, given all the pressure that are on the Glazers, the Harry Kane signing, they might look that as the perfect opportunity to stop all this protesting. Well, that was going to be my question. Look, you just answered it, but yes, the owners aren't going to spend this type of money on look whether we need it or we don't need it. Everyone needs a world class goal scorer. So, say we do need it, you say the Glazers aren't going to spend that money, but you just sort of said that what my question was going to be. Is, are they maybe going to be forced into that, even if it maybe is a mistake? Who knows? Who knows if it's going to be a mistake signing Harry Kane or not? But do you, do you see a situation, you just played out the scenario, but can you actually see the scenario happening where they just cave to fan pressure and try to appease them by a signing like a Harry Kane? I don't think the one signing is going to be enough anyway. Um, I, look, I, I do think it will help. Um, you know, we, we did debate this. A lot of our fan base will be satisfied with a big money signing. I don't know, though, if Harry Kane in isolation appeases the fans enough. Realistically, for the Glazers, 
you're better off putting a Jaden Sancho and a Declan Rice into our team than you are putting the same amount of money into a Harry Kane signing. So you also have to be a bit more strategic about it. One, how's it going to benefit the team? Sure, there's the PR machine to satisfy, but I think you appease the fans more by strengthening the squad as opposed to getting, yes, a ready-made striker that inevitably inevitably does improve United, but is not what United probably need at the moment. Unless the Glazers plan, plan on spending £300 million this summer, I don't see a situation where we get Harry Kane and the remaining positions for this squad. Yeah, no, look, I pretty much completely agree with every word there. So we'll move on to, um, look, there was a football game a few days ago. We played Fulham and, look, it started very good because the fans were in Old Trafford, only a few fans. Um, and Edison Cavani, who I think single-handedly has just put to bed the curse of number seven. That number seven is alive and well, and everyone loves Edison Cavani. And what a fantastic striker. It reminded me of the goal. I'm not sure if you remember it, maybe a bit too young. But um, I remember against Birmingham, um, must have been 2003-ish, um, Juan Veron just sliced a volley, volley pass through to David Beckham, and David Beckham was through on goal and just sort of stopped running and chipped the keeper, and um, a very similar goal to this one. And we'll just go back to the fans a little bit, I just want to touch on that, because our last goal at Old Trafford in front of fans was Scott McTominay with a very similar finish, and then what is it, 18 months later or however long later, Edison Cavani has scored a very similar goal, probably a better goal, um, the first time in front of fans. So just mm. your first thoughts on seeing Old Trafford. Well, look, obviously it wasn't full. I think there was 10,000 people in there. Yeah. But um, I thought it actually did play a difference. Just from a spectator's point of view on the other oh, side I loved of the world. It, loved it, did, it did just give us that. And I was, before I don't steal too much of your limelight on, on the topic, but at the time I was thinking, uh, it's, it's not going to be 10,000. Could you imagine when we watch a League Cup game and the League Cup um, with 20 minutes to go, you can see all the red seats at Old Trafford. And there must be mm. 60,000 people still in the stadium at that stage. And it's yeah. a little bit depressing. You think, oh, God, it doesn't look good. So when I was thinking there'll be 10,000 people in it, I was thinking, okay, it's good for those people to get back, but really, nah, it's still good. It's not going to look good. My God, it, it made a hell of a difference to me watching. Yeah, I think just having that noise in the background... <laughs> it's such a simple thing, but I think we've become accustomed to that, you know, watching football all our lives. Um, so, yeah, look, it was awesome. It was awesome. I, I was really happy to hear the fans singing. But I, I'm filthy. I didn't hear the Cavani chant going up after he scored that goal. What's going on there? Yeah, I think it's a hard look. I think, I think it was Elliot on the Facebook page made a comment. Don't have Facebook in front of me at the moment, but he was talking about um, maybe a little bit not disappointed with the fans, but in the second half, that atmosphere kind of died away a little bit. And I look at it and just think, it's been so long since um, the fans were in the crowd. It would be a weird experience. Like they'd be looking around at each other saying, what do we do? I'm sure they'll sort of have fine print on their tickets saying, no stand-in. I'm sure, I know in Australia, when restrictions come in in Australia, in pubs and clubs and whatever, one of the restrictions is always no singing. So I don't know what the thing is with my They're not meant to sing. Over there. Yeah, they're not meant to. So, so, Sort of there. So um, the fans, I think, would have been a little bit, okay, well, it's great to be back in here. What do we do? Because they obviously wouldn't be sitting next to the person that they're usually sitting next to in a packed Old Trafford. So um, yeah. I can understand that initial sort of buzz being in the ground. But then ultimately, in terms of creating an atmosphere, obviously very hard with 10,000 compared to 70,000. But it would have been while exciting for everyone in there, and rightly so. It still would have been, not challenging, but a, bit, a little bit weird between them. Well, I think the weirdest part, 
was United just couldn't get the victory, unfortunately. Um, and it, it continues our poor form. And that, that probably contributes. I thought the second half was quite dire. And another element to, in terms of the fans, uh, they were singing their hearts out in that first half. It, it felt like a full Old Trafford in terms of the sound effects. If, if you weren't listening, you would swear that was a full... Sorry, if, you, if your eyes weren't on the screen and you were listening, you'd swear that was a full Old Trafford. It, it was full on singing. Like I, They were probably so buzzed to be there that by the time the second half rolls around, the, the football game's kind of a, a nothing contest. It probably just took the, the heat out of the crowd a little bit. And then obviously the end result doesn't help. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, we do have, I was about to say, two important games left. We've got one very important game left, one sort of obstacle in the middle of that. But um, So we'll quickly touch on the Fulham one. I think we'll just go into three two ones. And um, look, it's never good having to go back and sort of relive and sort of give these three two ones after a disappointing performance or disappointing result. But um, a few names spring to mind because again, I don't. The result was so disappointing, especially after that initial excitement of the good goal and the crowd back. But um, as I say, it ultimately sort of died down a little bit. So um, the names that really spring to mind, we'll have to rewind a couple of days to remember. But Lord David De Gea had a good game. Um, Edison Cavani, obviously, Edison Cavani had a yeah sort of a normal Edison Cavani game, but the goal is just really the icing on the cake. It was a beautiful goal. Bruno mm-hmm. Fernandez with the... Well, look, Edison I can't Cavani's believe that's an assist. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Bruno missed it completely, so he's offside by a mile, but they gave him the assist, um, so well done to Bruno, who I thought was good. Um, yeah. Scott McTominay, which we'll get into McTominay. He was good. Um, after this. I thought yeah. McTominay was a little bit better, but anyone really... Look, we're going to have to give someone the three points, but... If you had to put your neck on the line, who did the most for the three points? I'd actually say De Gea, mate. I thought it was really good. Yeah, yeah well, he's good. Well, he's as I said, well, you had your formal apology, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners um, very much appreciated. I'm not sure if David's heard it himself, but um, another case for the um, number one shirt in the Europa League final for me. Yeah. Um, th- what, what do you make of this situation? Do, do you still think he, he is going to leave, or do you think Dean Henderson's probably the... Second choice now, and maybe the... Look, Tom, one of them's going to go. So, I mean, look, I'm sure it won't be the last time we'll debate this, but if you're following just your gut right now, I guess without getting into a debate too much, what's your what's your head telling you? Do you think Solskjaer's thinking one way or the other? I'm probably leaning back to more the reason David De Gea's going to stay and it'll be Dean Henderson who leaves or who um, the club try and get rid of. And the reason being, we always sit here, and I've made this point before, we sit here and say... Well, Dean Henderson's the number one goalkeeper because he's playing in the Premier League. But there was that case made, which now I fully agree with, well, I tend to agree with, is that, well, if Solskjaer's prioritising the Europa League, doesn't that make David De Gea his first choice goalkeeper and he's treating the Premier League almost as like a League Cup? He's giving Dean Henderson the League Cup games type of thing. So we're all sitting here in our mindset, okay, uh, Henderson's the number one keeper. But in reality, the facts in front of our face is David A is still the number one goalkeeper? I actually am starting to think the only reason Henderson got a run in the team is because David De Gea went to Spain to attend to his wife and the birth of his mm. first child. And perhaps Henderson's performances were quite good at that time. It would have not done his confidence any good to drop him after a good a good run with the team. So I'm thinking from Solskjaer's perspective, maybe he was thinking, I just need Henderson, not waiting for him to have a bad game, but looking for the opportunity to put De Gea back in. And I think that's what's happened here. 
Yeah, no, well, look, we're definitely going to have a couple of debates in a couple of weeks' time. And look, we might flip and say Dean Anderson's um, the likely one to stay and David Hayes off to Madrid. But um, obviously, okay, David Hayes for three points, two points. I think Cavani. I just mentioned earlier. Yeah, I mean, Cavani's a no brainer. He scores the goal and didn't get an opportunity to do too much in the game. But that's not a criticism of him. I think that just speaks to. I guess how United played. Um, Cavani was good in the first half, particularly. I thought in the second half, United just lost their way a little bit. How about the photo of Cavani of the chipped finish from the reverse angle, so oh. taken from almost Dave De Gea's goal? Because he's yeah. chipped him from, look, I don't know, I don't have the measuring tape yet, but let's do 35, 40 yards type thing. Yeah. The casualness of that photo, where he's just, the elegance is unbelievable. I'm sure everyone has seen the photo. Go onto the podcast Facebook or Twitter page, I'm sure it's there somewhere. A lot of people have to... Look, he's a professional footballer, so you can ping a ball from halfway to the goal, no problems. But you just still have to put a little bit of pepper behind it to make sure it gets the distance. But he has just delicately clipped the ball, and um, it's a fantastic photo. Yeah, it's not easy. And that's what the good footballers do. They make difficult difficult things look easy. Um, David Beckham could whip a bloody cross in with ease. He could put, put a bury a ball with a free kick. I can't do what Beckham can do. You know that's what good footballers. That's what they're capable of. Yeah, what what a bloody hell! That was a good finish, man. I'm so happy for Cavani too. You could tell the fan if you actually look at the players as they're coming out at Old Trafford. They were so happy to see. It. They almost kept looking at the crowd like this doesn't feel normal. There's been so long without them, so. No, it was a nice touch, and I'm happy Cavani, you know, at least got an exposure to the Old Trafford faithful. Yeah, no, definitely. So, to have two, uh, three, Cavani for two, and, yeah, one point, I was, I was, look, you, you can take the floor. Those names I'm throwing out, it's probably amongst Bruno, um, maybe McTominay, two and Zabi. Those are the ones who probably spring to mind for me. Yeah, I think they're the only three potential candidates. I'm glad you mentioned two and Zabi. I actually thought he did play quite well. Yeah, I'm probably leaning toward Bruno. I think he probably had the most terms of chances in the game and had an impact. I Yeah, I think McTominay, I'm with you. I thought he was well improved. It, it's a hard one. I think you're, you're not wrong if you choose any of the other two. I'm probably going with Bruno. Yeah, no, I think... Look, he had the captain's armband. Obviously, Harry Maguire's out injured, which we'll get into. But, um, yeah, it's just one of those ones. Bruno's now... Six months ago in that type of performance, his performance would have been sort of riddled with mistakes. He would have been getting the ball on halfway and trying to force passes in behind. He'd be giving the ball away cheaply and you'd think it'd be very frustrating. But over mm. those past over the past I'd say it's about three or four months now, he's a lot more he's a lot more careful with the ball and maybe sometimes he's not creating as much. But um I think his performance in general is starting to not starting to improve, but um is much improved on those early performances where he might stand out with a goal or two and an assist or two, but his overall performance, you look at, jeez, he actually wasn't that good. But, um, yeah, I think he's doing well. And you just look at his numbers and, look, we started the podcast with the Hall of Fame and we look at Frank Lampard, who held the record, was at 27 goals in a season, um, which was unheard of for a midfielder. And Bruno Fernandes has got 28 now. Mm. And, um, you, look, he, he very well could be in a position where he's going to score 30 goals in a season which for a midfielder, if we're talking Frank Lampard as Hall of Fame status, now obviously Bruno's not going into the Hall of Fame as of yet, but Frank Lampard obviously had a fantastic career, but everyone really goes back to that season where he just scored every single week. He was a machine, and rightly so, but you look at what Bruno Fernandes is doing, and Lampard had scored more penalties that season than Bruno Fernandes, so they can't use that argument to beat him with. Yeah, yeah. 
I agree with you. I think his performance has gradually improved, particularly, I mean, at the, even up into maybe, I want to say up to the halfway point of this season, he did have that performance in him, didn't he? When he first came to United, he was still playing with that risk, but I think everything he touched just turned to gold. But there was that period where he was just, it was bloody awful, mate. Like, if he wasn't pulling out an assist, you're pulling your hair out. But, yeah, he's definitely matured in his performance. And, mate, look, whatever we see as fans that frustrate us, I have no doubt Solskjaer's bollocking him, like, giving him the absolute shits in the sheds. So, yeah, I mean, but full credit to Bruno. He's one of our best players when he's on. And, yeah, it's good to see that maturity in his game. And maybe, you know, we've mentioned this. Um, you know when where we were debating about whether Harry Maguire should be captain? I'm just wondering, has that captaincy on Bruno's arm maybe given him that element of responsibility so he's being more conscious of, you know, spreading the ball around recklessly? Yeah, no, it's a very good point. Something I didn't really consider just to, until you brought it up. But, yeah, it's a very much a, yeah more of a captain's performance. Because I look at a captain's performance and look to the least amount of mistakes on the pitch has been a huge part of being a good captain. And Bruno Fernandes, his performance or his game is, not, I wouldn't say based around mistakes, but his game is a lot of mistakes. That's the way he plays. But yeah, his performances recently are a, sort of a lot more composed and calm, where he is limited in those mistakes, which is, um, which is good to see. But um, yeah, I'm happy with that for De Gea, Cavani and Bruno for the 3-2-1s. Now, on Monday after the Wolves match, we'll obviously do a big um, sort of full in-depth preview of the Europa League final and the ins and outs. But um. We might as well start on the first bit of that preview around that centre-back issue because I think we're all at the stage now, which I've been since the injury, but I think everyone around the world is maybe coming to terms that Harry Maguire is not going to feature. He very well might not even feature in the Euros. So let's all just say Harry Maguire, unfortunately, is not going to be fit for the Europa League final. Now, a couple of days ago, we were sitting here and saying, OK, look, it's going to be Eric Bay. Eric Bay is going to be um, the partner for Victor Lindelof. And we all said, well, this game coming up against Fulham will pretty much be the players who are going to start in the Europa League final will start against Fulham. So everyone very much assumed that it was going to be Lindelof and Bay. Now, an hour before kickoff, the team news comes out, and out of the hat, Axel Tuanzebi's playing. And all of a sudden, the sort of the argument changes and the idea changes. Mm. We're all now sitting here saying, well, is Tuanzebi going to be the first choice against Lindelof in the Europa League final? I would say his performance, whether it warrants it, I'm not quite sure, but he was good and did his sort of chances no harm. Your thoughts on that now is not what you want, but in terms of what you think Solskjaer is thinking, is Axel Tuanzebe actually going to start this Europa League final now? I think he might, mate, yeah. I think he's. you can see it with Bay, and I'm kicking myself because it feels like another Phil Jones situation, doesn't it, with Bay, where we've just given someone a long-term contract and then he's come in and he's and it makes you wonder why the heck did we bother doing it. Um, yeah, I, I, I think he is thinking Axel. What what Tuanzebe does lack in physicality, I think he makes up for it in terms of temperament. He, I think he's just a, a much calmer influence. Bay is too rash. And for someone his age as well, like he he's, he's probably should have managed that out of his game by now. You, you forgot the other end where, you know, if if I'm to compare an elite level of what Bay could be, Yap Stam was someone who played with aggression on the line up until he retired. But Yap Stam, when he went in with a rush challenge, he got the ball nine times out of ten. Bay just doesn't think. He's just, he, I, I just don't know his thought process when he when he's on the pitch and we saw it what was the game that he against was it against Liverpool the game before that Aston Villa I want to say it wasn't Aston Villa 
Tom, uh, rejig my memory. Yeah, I, think the, I think the Liverpool game. Well, Leicester game. It was a Leicester game. Um, Leicester was it, yeah. Bay was all over the place. And I think that was probably a red flag for Solskjaer. He's probably thought, all right, where can I get the closest thing to Harry Maguire out of this team? It's probably Axel. And I think, you know, if I, if the, if I was picking the side tomorrow, it's I'd, I'd two and Zabi all day long for me. Well, as I said, we'll sort of go into it and we'll have more information after the Wolves game of sort of the fitness of one or two players. So we won't touch on this topic too much um, just now, but you're just sort of first initial thoughts on the midfield pairing of McTominay and Fred both picked up sort of what looked to be minor injuries, but um, both have picked up injuries on the weekend. Um, look, we will discuss it in further depth when we have more information next week. Uh, but your initial thoughts on that, the two knocks for those two players? Sorry, mate. You, you, who are the players? We cut out a bit there. Um, McTominay and Fred. Obviously, they weren't serious injuries, but both definitely did pick up knocks. So, um, yeah, just your yeah, thoughts they did. on um, how that's going to play out. Oh, I don't think it'll be anything. I imagine both players will be fit for Wolves. I'm not worried at all, mate. I think it's just a case of, you know, I think from Solskjaer's perspective, he's obviously got an eye on the final. I think it was just a case of perseverance, throw them in cotton wool. I wouldn't be too concerned, to be honest. Yeah, well, okay, speaking of the Wolves game, we'll try and wrap up the podcast now on Wolves. It'll be interesting. I think, do you think, before we get into the whole Premier League in general, do you think this Wolves game will be a little bit like the Leicester game the other week where everyone playing in the Europa League final won't play in this game? This will be a completely changed eleven. Uh, I don't think he will. Um, I think he'll realise because of... It would have been nice too, but I think with the lack of confidence that could potentially be in the team, I think he's going to probably go with a stronger side and hoping for the best in terms of try to get a bit of confidence before that big final. You do not want to go into that final without a win, considering our runner form. I don't think that's a, I don't think that'd be a good call by Solskjaer. Well, do you think? What's the bigger risk? Do would you prefer to go into? the Europa League final after, a, let's say, a draw or a narrow defeat to Wolves, but you got a full team, or would you rather go in with a win, but you've injured a Bruno Fernandes or a Paul Pogba? Well, I mean, injuries can happen any time. Uh, I, I don't think you can think like that. we just got to go in with confidence. Well, I completely agree. When the players step on the training ground, anything can happen. Fully understand that. But in a competitive game environment, is it a needless risk to throw them in there a few days before... A Europa League final? Um, I, I don't think you need to play them 90 minutes, but I, I'd be starting them. I think they need to have that feeling of confidence around them too. Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba are elite footballers, but they're still human. If they're not in a winning team, that can hurt them too, mate. I think we need that. They, they need a start. They need to be part of a team that wins against Wolves. Sure, I'd bring them, on, I'd bring them off at the 60th, 70th minute if we're in a good position, but they should be starting and they should be part of the team that gets a win. It's a big call, it'll be interesting, but um, just before we move on, um, just the Premier League in general, it is the last day, every team's played 37, we're up to that 38th week, we're obviously wrapped up second, which we haven't even talked about, whether that's a successful season for Solskjaer or not, but we have wrapped up second regardless of what happens this week. Unfortunately, Liverpool have weaseled themselves into a position where they're very likely now going to get top four um, at the expense of Leicester. Um, which we can touch on if you want. But the main, the I want to see one thing, so, sorry, two things this week I want to see. Obviously, no injuries for United and hopefully a win. But the other thing I want to see is Leicester to beat Tottenham and Manchester City, unfortunately, to beat Everton. 
and Arsenal win um, their match against whoever they're playing. And what that does, it puts Arsenal into the prestigious um, Euro- Europa Conference League. Um, that is all I want from this week. Could you imagine after the season they've had, they have to go and play in the whatever that league is, the Europa Conference League. And you could just see them on AFTV in six months' time when they get knocked out in the quarterfinals against, I don't know, Borat FC and Kazakhstan type thing. It would be truly, truly um, satisfying, I think. Yeah, I mean, but I'd enjoy watching it. Who cares? It's Arsenal. Just enjoy it and laugh. Sit back, eat But popcorn. do we know what the Conference League is? Everyone's still talking about it. I still actually don't know what it is, but I know it does sound funny. It's, uh, it's, it's just basically Europa League 2.0. So like the third division, the third tier of European yeah, football. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it is, yeah. If you win it, you qualify for the Europa League. Oh, so you don't even, know, don't even know, go to the Champions League no. if you win it? No. Yeah. Look, maybe that's Arsenal's, maybe it's their level. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good luck to them. <laughs> so um, look, we've, we've discussed the Wolves match. and um, look, Finishing 10th might now. actually mean something. Yeah, well, I actually looked at that. Well, the th- amazing thing is if those results do go that way, which... Very likely, you can see Leicester beating Tottenham and City beating Everton. There's a situation then where Arsenal finished seventh, which is amazing after the season they've had. But um, yeah, it would be one of those situations where they're probably wanting to finish as low as possible, so they stay away from it. But as I said, on Monday after the Wolves game, I think we'll do a quick three-two ones after the Wolves match. Hopefully, um, very straightforward. Hopefully, um, one or two of the youngsters feature. Um, unlike Larry, who wants to go full strength. But um, the podcast will mainly be, I think, a big Europa League preview. We'll talk a little bit about Villarreal. Obviously, the ins and outs of the different scenarios with United and fitness. Hopefully, we'll have a different um, all the information regarding McTominay and Fred. Um, who knows, Harry Maguire. Um, might, it might be a miracle he might be fit, but it looks um, unlikely at this stage. Um, your thoughts going into this big week, Larry? Especially, um, we're both taking the day off work for next Thursday. Um, the Europa League final in Sydney is um, 5am on a Thursday, so we're brave in the cold with the Man United Supporters Club here in Sydney to um, head to the city for that morning. Um, your thoughts on these few big days ahead? Yeah, it's exciting. Um, definitely keen for the Europa League final. Keen to you know, meet you early in the morning, get on the drinks. Uh, mate, I had to... Guys, I'm telling you, if you ever need to negotiate anything, come see me. You do not want to know the lengths I had to go to. I was basically begging my begging my boss to get that day off. Got there in the end. I just said I had to take my dog to the vet. And my boss said, oh, no, that's good. I hope he's okay. I'm going to record a video of you and send it to your principal. No, too easy. But, um, yeah, we'll negotiate that on the day. But, yeah, a lot of, a lot of the podcast listeners are joining us. Um, on the Thursday morning with the supporters club, which is good, and also on the Wednesday night, one of the we have a, a pubcast pro clubs FIFA team, and um, everyone's sort of going to the game on the Thursday morning. But one of our um, teammates on there, and obviously a member from the Perth supporters club, Ian, he's actually flying over from Perth to Sydney on I think on the Tuesday, so I feel this will go out on the Wednesday night. Maybe record a podcast and have a few beers before we head back home. Before we have to set the alarm for. God knows what hour to get into the city. I think the doors open to the pub at 4am. So um, it will be a cold morning, but um, I'm sure, Larry, I'm sure it'll be a warm morning once those beers start flowing and that whistle goes because, while it's a little bit of fun now, I'm sure once that whistle goes, the nerves will kick in and it'll be a horrible 90 minutes. I hate finals. I hate them. Yeah, it's going to be a nervy one, but... 
you know, this is why we're football fans, um, for the ecstasy of winning. And I just, yeah, uh, let's not even discuss a loss because, um, yeah, I, I'd be, I'd be sad. I think we took the day off just for, to succumb to, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, no, that's not <laughs> Positive thoughts. Yeah, that's and, it. Yeah. We'll discuss that obviously in depth on Monday, but I'm um, hopefully everyone enjoyed that podcast and, um, Obviously, has a good weekend. Make sure you subscribe on your podcast app and follow us on all the social medias. We truly appreciate that. And, um, yeah, Larry, I'll chat to you on Monday and um, prepare the liver for Thursday morning. Yeah, mate, I'm ready. I'll see you then. <laughs>